Hello and welcome back to another For the Love of List episode. We are on day four of Podmas and in our alphabet series, day four means the letter D and helping me go through this one and ranking the top five players of all time, beginning with the letter D, is Adam from the Hopeless Wanderers podcast. The only Wiccan Wanderers fan <laughs> I think I've ever heard of. Uh, but yeah, how are you doing, Adam? You're right. Yeah, thank you for that uh, intro. Uh, yeah, great to be on your show as well. More to the point, but yeah, as you've alluded to, I'm one of the very rare breed of Wicked Wondrous fans, and uh, yeah, spreading some love, no doubt. But uh, yeah, <laughs> let, let's go into the D's. I think there's some interesting uh, candidates that we've both chosen, right? Yeah, yeah. How did you find it? Sort of whittling it down to five. Yeah, I mean, at first I kind of struggled to remember any players beginning or with the surname of D. And then it kind of started to flood um, some not so great, I would say. And some then I got reminded of uh, being great. And um, yeah, it was pretty awesome when you reminisce about some of these plays, um, which may indicate uh, the fact that some of the plays that I've chosen no longer play anymore um so yeah i think it's been one of those uh, education bits that i've had to remind myself of how great some of these players were so i'm sure we'll uh, hear the same with yourself as well yeah yeah i love i love a good player that doesn't play anymore <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I very rarely go to these modern ones really i mean we're talking earlier i completely forgot Kevin yeah. De Bruyne existed, um, <laughs> so whether he would have made my five or not, I'm not sure. But yeah, it's it's always good talking about players that used to play, especially ones that were around when you were growing up and just getting into football, really. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, I have to say, yeah, I even forgot about Kevin De Bruyne myself. But yeah, you weren't the only one embarrassed by that one. Yeah, so if we crack into it then, at number five, who have you gone with? I went for the cool man uh, called Pitbull in midfield. He's Edgar Davids. So um, Edgar Davids, who made uh, wearing swimming goggles look fun in football. Um, personality to match. And uh, yeah, it was it's fair to say that he was far from being clean at times. But um, yeah some interesting stats about the guy as well so uh in 423 appearances he scored 32 goals i'm trying to remember those goals myself because i can't remember any of the david's goals um when i even looked at his uh dutch appearances so he appeared for holland 74 times and scored six goals again can't remember those six goals uh for holland (laughs) Um, but I think, yeah, when you talk about Edgar Davids, you just think of that Nike advert, don't you? Where he's just like, yeah, just like completely dominated um, from numerous different angles and somehow gets the ball away. Um, but that's the type of play he was. He was diminutive. He was really, you know, I suppose 100% commitment. He was the kind of player that I aspired to play as a midfielder when I was growing up, I suppose, to, to some extent anyway, not the red card bit. Um, but yeah, certainly um, the ability to uh, really annoy his opponents. And I think that's what made him really loved by fans. I think that's the you know sentiment that he brought on the pitch was, yeah, he fought for every ball. That's what fans loved was just that pure commitment um and yeah when you look at his career he's played for a lot of top clubs I mean we'll forget about Spurs in that list but yeah um you know (laughs) you look where he started off Ajax um interesting stat about his time at Ajax Uh, he actually got rejected twice by Ajax before he actually eventually signed for them so he was signed up as a 12 year old and um yeah, I suppose it was more around that Louis van Gaal days where he 
kind of really yeah. made himself a name in that 95, 96 season with Ajax. What um, a side that was as well. So it was many incredible, wasn't it? When you Ajax think back team. about that and... Um, if you haven't seen that Ajax side, I definitely recommend listeners to watch that side, even on YouTube clips, because that side for two seasons were in Champions League finals. They won the Eredivisie. A lot of those players then moved on, obviously. Um, he himself famously got a move to AC Milan off the back of that campaign. Didn't turn out as well for him, but then he made a new dynasty at Juventus. So at Juve with Zidane, um, Conte, uh, Didier Deschamps in that midfield, he was phenomenal. And um, I'm sure we're going to refer to another D later on the line when we're talking about Juventus. But yeah, he was he did really well at Juve, won them many Scudettos, um, Super Coppa in Italy as well. Um, but yeah, as everything, it became a bit stale for him. Um, I think it was the second spell with Lippi in charge. And then he found himself on loan at Barcelona. Um, yeah, I remember that. With I think that was Ronaldinho's first season. Yeah, so I, I was reading into it. And um, between him and Ronaldinho, they're kind of, I suppose, famed for the regrowth of Barcelona at that time. Um, I remember that time when they beat Real Madrid at the uh, Bernabeu and it was a shock result because it was all about Ronaldinho's performance. But what Mm. they did say was behind Ronaldinho, if they didn't have the likes of Edgar Davids, then they would have crumbled to an extent because although they had Xavi and Iniesta was kind of, I suppose, a bit part player at the time, um, he was still mm. young, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, he was famed for kind of the regrowth of Barcelona at the time. But then I suppose it's weird that he didn't kind of stay there. It was because Inter Milan came in for him. And then after that spell at Inter Milan, which was roughly about a season and a half, he signed for Spurs. And um, the first introduction to the Premier League, which I, I think none of us expected, um, we loved or wanted him to come into the Premier League. And when it did happen, it was a breath of fresh air to an extent. Um, and then maybe at that point, maybe his career kind of panned off because he went back to Ajax, then came back to Crystal Palace as a bit part player on a pay-as-you-play scheme and then ended up at Barnet of all places, yeah. <laughs> which then he became manager of. So, um, yeah, and he oversaw the last ever game at the Underhill for those that want to know. Um, but yeah, no, real strange surroundings, um, real character. Um, but yeah, he brought, brought a, love, a lot of love to the game, I suppose, in that respect. And yeah, that's what I fondly remember him for, for being the personality that he was. So that was my number five. Mm. Well, I've got one story about Edgar Davids. Uh, he oh, yeah. wasn't a fan of me. He wasn't a fan of me. So I've actually met <laughs> right. him before. Uh, Dennis Burkamp's testimonial. So oh, it's yeah. the first game at the Emirates he was playing in. Have you seen the clip of the Chelsea mascot that did the sort of fake handshake? And yeah, it's he... a Gerard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I did that to Davids. <laughs> yeah, because he, he wasn't happy because. On Burkamp's testimonial, they had like 49 mascots right. to represent the 49 teams that Burkamp had scored against for Arsenal. Okay. Uh, and they were like flag wavers, so I was one of those. So I got to be in the, the tunnel of the game. So that was pretty good. But yeah, I met David there and he, he wasn't happy. But uh, he took <laughs> that game very seriously as well, which kind of shows you what a what a competitor that he was. Even though it's a friendly game, he, he's not bothered like he'll, He'll fight for every ball, no matter what the occasion. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like said, but, uh, yeah, couldn't couldn't not get that little story in there. Oh, definitely. So, who was your number five? So, my number five was Marcel Desailly, the man okay. who taught John Terry everything he knew at Chelsea. <laughs> oh, oh, that's probably what he'll claim anyway. And yeah, I mean, I, I just remember him for being just like a monster physically even though he wasn't mm. the tallest he was just so strong so good in the air and mm. yeah a proper leader really and it was a bit of a shock I think that he moved to Chelsea um, off the back of winning yeah. the World Cup because yeah. he was in that that great Milan side um, mm. that's and, uh, what I remember I think, mainly, 
yeah, mainly under Capella. I think he might have got a little bit of Sachi's end, possibly as well. Um, and he got he got a goal, didn't he, in the, mm. the cup, European Cup final? And he's won the Champions League at two different sides as well. Still, yeah. Marseille the only French side to to win the Lift thing. It. So, yeah, mm. and back then he was a defensive mid, really, and the fact that he could be really world class in two positions. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, he, he could probably do a job at right back if if he really wanted them to as mm, well. This is true. Just yeah, really good, versatile, just proper proper defender. Um, one of my favourites, despite being a, a sort of Chelsea legend. One of my, I, I love that French defence really of the, of the ninety eight World Cup and yeah, yeah not 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 so fond of Le Boeuf, but definitely Desailly for sure. Yeah, Desailly yeah. was a yeah. legend, and like you say, the AC Milan days were what I remember him for. Um, just yeah, just no nonsense, just de- dealt with every ball. I mean, he was the kind of experienced centre back that everyone probably right now would crave for. Because um, mm. although we, we're kind of blessed with the abundance of young emerging centre backs, you also need that bit of experience sometimes. And it didn't seem to bother him that he didn't have a lot of pace. It was more of, I suppose, a bit like the Italians do with Maldini. It was all about just making sure you got the tackle in at the right time. And that's what he seemed mm. to perfect every time. I never remember like Desai making a mistake, which, you know, when you think about, say, Rio Ferdinand, everyone remembers a mistake that he's done, but we also remember mm. him for doing the good things. Um, with Desai, just I can't remember him having a calamity moment at all. So, yeah, fair play to you on that one. He was uh, a solid choice, definitely. Nice. So who have you got at number four? So number four, I went with Deco. Um, so I suppose everyone remembers Deco for the Porto days and later on, obviously, Barcelona and eventually Chelsea. Um but yeah, Deco obviously started off in Brazil, um, came over to Benfica, believe it or not. Um, he had a very similar situation to Carlos Tevez and Mascarano, where his rights were owned by a third party at the time when things like that were allowed anyway. And um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a weird situation because obviously Benfica had to buy this third party out to allow him to play um, or turn up in that sense for Benfica. Um, but strangely at Benfica, he didn't get any game time. Um, and the den manager who was Graeme Souness decided to sell this young player called Deco, who'd only ever been on loan spells before to like other smaller Portuguese clubs. And then he finds himself at Porto and everyone knows what he did at Porto, which was just be this amazing playmaker, number 10 to an extent. Um, and yeah, part of that Mourinho dynasty, I suppose, um, which went on to win the UEFA Cup final against Celtic that time and then the Champions League the following season. And then that's where everything sort of blossomed for him because he got awarded, I remember at the time, the best midfielder in Europe by UEFA. Um, Then he had obviously his change of nationality, so he turned out for the Portuguese side. Um, Loads of hoo-ha from the Brazilian quarters as well around that switch. But yeah, ironically, the man that also wasn't in favour of him changing nationality, Philip Scolari, would manage him for Portugal. And um, they almost won the Euros, if you remember that year that they hosted the tournament. But it wasn't to be. But yeah, in between that period, obviously, he was at Barcelona and when you look at the fees that were mentioned for him, so he was signed for £15 million, which you think these days that's nothing now um, mm-hmm. for a player of his quality. Believe it or not, he was meant to be joining uh, Jose at Chelsea before the move to Barcelona happened. Um, oh, yeah. He got everyone else, didn't he? Yeah, basically. Oh, and not, this not was the, the one line. that he reflected as the one that got away in that sense, mm. because um, you can imagine what... Mourinho would have done with him um but yeah. yeah I mean talking about him at Barcelona there was a lot of doubts about him and what he could do because obviously Ronaldinho was the main man there they were building 
every season it seemed like they were getting these really classy players and yeah at the time like not many Barcelona fancied him like but he turned out he still performed and yeah he got he was in the team that won the Champions League so you got to hand it to him um he did really well in that respect and then obviously after a few seasons moved on to Chelsea again Philippe Scolari was the manager that brought him in for £10 million, I think it was at the time. And again, massive signing for Chelsea at the time. Um, Everyone was kind of the big Phil philosophy is going to dominate English football. It never turned out to be that way. And um, at that point after he was sold on, obviously he was frozen out of the team. Um, I want to say it was Villas Boas at the time was his manager. And yeah, obviously he was potentially going to sign for Inter Milan, who was managed by then, Jose Mourinho. But it never happened. A certain manager called Carlo Ancelotti ended up at Chelsea and convinced him to stay. And he enjoyed, I think it was three seasons at Chelsea thereafter. You know, he won the double in Carlo's first season, became a big part of that Chelsea midfield. And um, yeah, I think Chelsea fans haven't got a bad word to say about him. After that spell at Chelsea, went to Fluminense in um, Brazil, where he ended his career. Uh, I think he finished at 36 years old. Um, but hell of a player, really talented. I think for that generation, um, we hadn't seen someone that was so much energy about him, like end-to-end, because he could do his defensive duties if he wanted to as well. You forget yeah. about that with him. Um, but he was also not the tallest of players, let's be honest. I think he was the first one that came through that was, you know, the smaller. He, mm. he sort of made it fashionable because you had sort of Xavi. Yeah. But he was only just starting to to really make his name at Barca and then Iniesta. And obviously we, we see a lot of sort of smaller mm. midfielders now. But Deco, for me, seemed to be the first one that, that came through and... And yeah, really did it on the world stage. He at, reminds at me a lot of Janino, um, the uh, Middlesbrough Janino that Middlesbrough came one, in, yeah. and um, yeah, it just seemed to dominate. And it didn't matter what league it was. Um, so yeah, you've got to say he was a quality player. And um, yeah, when you play against my other few players that I picked for this D section, it's been very hard to have him that low on list because of what he achieved. Mm. But yeah, be curious. What was your number four? So my number four is a real throwback uh, all the way to the 1950s. <laughs> and it is were you Were you watching then, were you? Uh, I wasn't, <laughs> no, but um, I, I, I do love this Brazil side. This, uh, it's not in, the 1958 to 62 that won yeah. two back-to-back World Cups. So for me, they're the greatest international side of all time. Um, mm. We did a pod on it, like I think the summer last year, and I think they ended up like second or third of all time. <laughs> but Didi goes, I think he definitely goes under the radar because Pele and Garincha were in that team, mm. and they, and rightly so, they do get all the press. But Didi was kind of the guy keeping the ball moving. I suppose if I was to compare him to someone now, um, probably be like Modric because okay. he set the tempo, but he could. You know, he wasn't static with it like mm. like a Tony Cruz. He could he could dribble. He loved an outside of the foot pass as well, a bit like Modric does. And he's really good at free kicks as well. Yeah. Um, so he, even though he didn't get forward that much and kind of allowed the people in front of him to thrive, he, he did have a decent enough goal scoring record just from the fact that he was so good on set pieces. Um, and yeah, back then it was a little bit, a bit manic. He used to see some high-scoring games and stuff. Yeah. But he he gave Brazil a little bit of control in that midfield, really. And he actually won the the player of the tournament at the '58 World Cup, which is the one where Pele uh, came for as a 17-year-old, and, and Garincha was yeah. probably the the kind of star of the team back then. But um, Didi actually won the player of the the tournament. That one, he did have a short spell in Europe as well. He oh, won right. the first Brazilians to go over. Uh, in that really, really strong Real Madrid side. But mm. unfortunately, he didn't get on with another D um, that I'm going to mention later on. <laughs> so yeah, it was short-lived and he did go back to Brazil. 
and he had quite a lot of success over there too. And yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't he wasn't like a captain for any any sort of mm. length of time international club level, but he was credited with with mentoring Pele and a bit later on Jorginho as well. Mm. And yeah, he was just kind of the, I guess the big brother of of the team, the experienced head and the guy. I guess the guy that needed to give Brazil a bit of stability because they've they've always had really strong attackers mm. right? but you need someone in there to to kind of control the game a little bit and to balance it out that's what he brought yeah, yeah. no that yeah, sounds phenomenal they could do with yeah. him right now couldn't they to be fair yeah yeah someone like him now would be would be good should hopefully dispatch someone like Fred potentially in that midfield but I don't know we'll I wait and see he might just about he might just about <laughs> dispatch Fred yeah Right, should we go on to number three then? Yes, number three. Because this so, is an interesting one. We both went for the same one, didn't we? Here, yeah, Del Piero. This this was one at the start. I forgot as well that his name was a C. <laughs> um, but then I was thinking of. I think at first I thought of Dean Natale, and I thought, yes. oh, actually, there's quite a lot of Italian players that are called D yeah. or something like that. And that's what made me think of Del Piero, and I'm I'm glad I didn't forget this guy. Um, mm. It surprises me though that because he he was out injured quite a lot, yes. But he's still Juventus's record appearance holder. Yeah, I mean, which kind of shows just his longevity. Yeah, it's it's incredible when you read his history as well because he started playing football when he was 13 in terms of he was in a youth academy set up and this was in uh, Padova. Um, Mm. He was in the youth team for maybe two seasons before he was called up to the senior team. So by that point, he was basically coming up to 15, 16 at the time. And yeah, within two seasons in Italy with Padova in Serie B, he then got signed by Juventus. Um, which just goes to show you his history of playing football has stemmed quite a long way back. Um, mm. But everyone knows him for being the Juve boy. And um, it's very noticeable when you look at, I remember the Champions League days where he was synonymous with Juventus. So everyone that kind of associated Juventus would always say, Del Piero, he was the talisman. Um, don't get me wrong, there's obviously Zidane, there was other players that were kind of famed for their performances with Juventus, but actually everyone recognised Juventus for being Del Piero. And he was blessed to play with the likes of Baggio, Ravinelli, Viali. They were the players that he learned off. So when you look at his record for Juve, it's actually stronger than his record for Italy, mm. which... Um, makes a lot of sense because I don't think a lot of Italian coaches fancied him, but Italy were blessed with so many strikers as well. We forget about that, but you know, they had the likes of Vieri, for example, Totti when it came to his latter years as well. I'm forgetting a a whole host of big names when I'm talking about Italy, but that just gives you an example of who he was competing with when it came to the Italy squad. And Italy also, I think, traditionally have always struggled to get a pairing that has worked for them so that's why yeah. maybe nowadays you see Italy going with the sole man up front and do you know what I think they'd love to have Del Piero in that side right now because he'd score them a lot of goals um, but you're right it was when he was injured that's when it was telling because when Juventus didn't have Del Piero in their side they'd almost automatically rule themselves as being out for the next leg or you know or losing that game because they just didn't have that input from Del Piero which shows you the influence of the guy I mean he was more of a technical player than anything but I suppose by that period that was quite advanced because they were all target men or they were fox Mm. in the box style strikers you know so you didn't have someone that was in between and I think that was the uniqueness about Del Piero and then one thing I, I think we've got to call out with Del Piero was he was really loyal to Juventus. Um, 
Um, in, I'm sure there was lots of offers that he could have moved on, for example. But even in the Calciopoli scandal with Juventus where they got relegated, he stayed with them and helped them go back up. And in between yeah. that, he still was picked for Italy. So, yeah, I've got nothing but respect for the guy. Um, and I think, yeah, it's almost sad to think about that he never really got a huge opportunity with Italy, but he did have an impact when it came to the World Cup. If you remember that semi-final versus Germany, oh, that was incredible, and the, and the celebration after as well. I exactly. So everyone's going to remember Del Piero in Italy for that moment alone. If it's nothing else, in uh, he scored twenty-seven goals for Italy. If anything everyone's going to remember that one goal for Italy um but I don't know about yourself what what was the key thing that you found with Del Piero what was synonymous for you yeah I just think growing up and watching mostly Premier League football you would see like you said a lot of a lot of kind of traditional centre forwards target Mm. men and he was kind of a hybrid wasn't he of a, a nine and a ten and yeah just very very technical um, loved the free kick as well. Yeah, he's good at them. Yeah, like, like you say, Juventus watching them on ITV with Clive Tilsley commentary. <laughs> yeah. It was always all about Del Piero with Juventus, and you know that Juventus was was the best team in Italy. But despite all their players that they've had throughout the years, yeah, no one really comes close to Del Piero, which which speaks a lot about how good. He was really. Um, I, I think without without the injuries, and I think was it around? It was around ninety seven, ninety eight. I think mm. he had a knee injury or something like that. People obviously talk about like R nine uh, and Van Basten, yeah, as to yeah people that are robbed robbed of you know potential. But I think Del Piero was probably on course for being one of the greatest of all time because mm. he he just won the Champions League. Uh, with Juve in 96 yeah and he was on top of the world really and yeah who knows he obviously achieved a ton especially Mm. domestically but yeah he he could have achieved so much more as well but the other thing he he was just so cool I think a lot of Italian footballers were really cool but he he just seemed really (laughs) yeah just yeah no I think Serie A was one of those leagues that was I suppose the Premier League to an extent right now in the sense of all the big players wanted to play there. The big clubs attracted the big names and, um, you know, you had those household Italians, whether that be Maldini with AC Milan, Del Piero there. I remember the likes of say, for example, Diego or Dino Baggio playing for Parma, for example, back in the day, Mm. Um, you all had these one Italian, one man club, players essentially yeah, and all of them Sampdoria. del piero was just juve that's what he was mm. um but yeah i had to put that bit about italy because i feel like yeah nowadays he'd be every game guaranteed a match that's for sure mm. yeah definitely they could even though they won the euros but yeah <laughs> still i guess they'd they'd be through to the World Cup without any, potentially, any yeah, problems. Potentially. Yeah, yeah. So, number so, two. Let's get, let's, let's two, get yeah. this one out of the way. So, um, I went for Didier Drogba. So, I think I remember Didier Drogba when he first broke out in that Marseille team. And um, that was his one and only season at Marseille before um, a certain Roman Abramovich decided to spend lots of million of millions of pounds, should I say, on just endless players. And I remember at the time thinking, he's all right. He's nothing special. And I remember that first season at Chelsea didn't really set the lights on fire. Um, a lot of Chelsea fans after the first season demanding he'd be sold off. Um, I think he's admitted since that he was on the brink of potentially leaving Chelsea at that very time as well. Um, but I wish he did as an Arsenal fan. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal were one of the clubs that wanted him as well. But Mourinho persuaded him to stay and more to the point told him he had to put in a bit more effort and you know, 
when you think about it, the effort that he brought into Chelsea thereafter was just phenomenal because he's the complete opposite of Del Piero. He was the target man, but with that target man, he was more than just holding up the ball and heading on like flick-ons. He was about pace. He was all about power. He was just terrorizing defenders, not giving them like any time to dwell on the ball. Um, he was just kind of, I suppose, that modern day footballer in terms of he evolved what was the kind of concept of a target man. So I'm thinking like a John Carew versus mm. like someone that was a speedster like Thierry Henry. So he kind of combines all of those assets into one human being, which is just phenomenal. And um, when I think about Didier Jogba, I don't know why. There's two things that I remember him for. There's this one goal that he scored against Everton where he shot from distance and it kind of just mm. looped over the top of I want to say it was was it someone like uh, I'm trying to think of the goalkeeper at the time I wanted to say Thomas Sorensen but I know he didn't turn up for Everton um, but more to the point yeah. it was just that goal, goal though. white kit weren't it he was yeah in. from distance yeah. and it was phenomenal so there was that but then what Chelsea fans are going to remember him for is that Champions League win which was Obviously, in Munich, he headed the goal to equalise and bring them back into the game. And then with the last touch, obviously, scoring the penalty, um, that secured the Champions League for them. And even in that very moment, he was just cool as a cucumber, just phenomenal and professional as ever. Um, when you look at his goal scoring record as well, so in 497 appearances, scored 210 goals, 104 of them were for Chelsea alone. And for Ivory Coast, 105 appearances, 65 goals. Um, this guy is phenomenal and um, he's got to be rightly remembered as one of the greats in terms of football. Um, but it was only in his latter years, I think he got that respect. Whereas I think in his early years, he was on maybe the cusp of he could be a good player, but he turned into be a great player. And um, yeah, he was my number two. What about yours? Yeah, well, just on that point about him getting his respect, I still don't think he does. I mean, you see really? on Twitter a lot of people saying he doesn't score enough goals, but you've just <laughs> said his record there. And his record in his spell at Chelsea, like obviously he's a lot more than just a, a goal scorer, but it was as good as Michael Owen in the Premier League, Andy Cole in the Premier League. Yeah. I think it was similar to Robbie Fowler. Like the guy could put the ball in the back of there as well as everything else that he brought to Chelsea as well. So yeah, I've I've certainly come to appreciate how good he is since he's left because I think when he was at Chelsea I just had too much hate for him (laughs) (laughs) I think that's natural that's very natural yeah but I think you think of all the goals he scored like um, there's always this pressure now on strikers to perform at the big stages he never seemed to flinch he'd always Mm. seem to score those big moment goals I remember there was one year where Chelsea weren't great and he still scored in the FA Cup final at Wembley. He got that one goal. And you're just thinking, wow. So this guy, I think, I want to say that was Man United against Man United. And this was, a, I want to say, Sir Alex Ferguson, Man United as well. Yeah, so this yeah. is a thing, like, how can people not have more respect for the guy? Because, you know, when you compare him to what Chelsea have right now, and that's no disrespect to them, but... They'd love to have a prime Drogba in that side. I mean, that that is basically what we're all thinking Lukaku is going to do for them. So, yeah, Drogba was just phenomenal. I, I can't say why you wouldn't have him in your team if you had an option. Certainly for Wickham Wanderers, he's more than welcome to turn out, that's for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, he might. If he's listening, maybe he'll take you. <laughs> more than welcome, did you? So, uh, my number two... I've gone with King Kenny Dalglish. Oh, King Kenny. A legend at two European super clubs, should we call them, in Celtic and Liverpool. Mm. Um, yeah, he's another one where he wasn't like a a proper traditional number nine 
more of that mm. kind of hybrid nine ten, but he's he still scored a lot of goals. And for me, Liverpool's greatest ever player over Steven Gerrard. Um, I think you've got to give it to him on what what he won, like three European Cups. He was just a serial winner, like mm. won so many league titles. I've I've lost yeah. And he had that low centre of gravity. And what people always talk about with Kenny Dalglish, a bit like Eden Hazard, is his arse. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is actually what his secret weapon was, uh, to to guard the ball and, and make sure people didn't get it. And yeah, it obviously did him wonders because, yeah, he, he managed to, to get a lot of goals and assists um, mm. in crucial times. And yeah, he, he just won so much. And I can't think of many players that have played in England and Scotland and like been a proper legend in the league at, at both teams. I'm, I'm really mm. struggling to think of many um, but Kenny Dalglish was was certainly that, and mm. yeah, he could he could have an argument for being kind of in in the best Scottish Premier League team, all the best Premier League, well not Premier League but first division team mm. of the last yeah like, thirty forty years for for both. Just yeah, really yeah. good player. On that point, I have to say, I think whether you're English or Scottish, you still have respect for him regardless of what he did and what he achieved at various different stages of his career. Because as an Englishman, I think you begrudge kind of saying a Scotsman was really good, for example, or a good player, for example, but he was, he was just phenomenal. And um, yeah, obviously even as a manager in his later years, he still got that respect. Uh, I don't think anyone's got a bad word necessarily to say about Kenny. And um yeah, I mean, just going back to the player, obviously wasn't old enough to kind of experience those times. But yeah, you just hear the stories of what he achieved, um, even going into the 80s where he then eventually became a manager and a player manager originally. I mean, yeah, I mean, that just Liverpool team just seemed to flourish, but they flourished more when Dalglish was in that side. So um, yeah, nothing but, good words to say about Kenny as a player and as a person. So yeah, good choice at number two for sure. And I'm interested to see your number one. So my number one uh, might be controversial based on what I've already said as my uh, previous players, but it's Yuri Zhorkaev. So yeah, everyone will remember him for his time in France. And I think for me, I remember France 98, um, just the fact that France won the World Cup with what I would say was one of those controversial teams, not because of necessarily the players they picked, but just it was at a time where the French squad, as ever, there's a lot of discontent, um, ill feelings, but they turned up as a squad, regardless of the backgrounds, regardless of who they were as individuals and who they played for. And Zhorkaev was just one of those that seemed to be a bit like a Dennis Bergkamp in the sense of he was magical with his feet. He had a level personality. No one seemed to dislike Zhorkaev from what I read. And, um, yeah, I think for me, Jorkaev was a special player. He had a great left foot, um, could score really good free kicks. Um, and he was part of that Inter Milan side, if everyone remembers, where they had Ronaldo up front, they had the likes of Vieri, they also had Rakoba coming through as well. So yeah. some household names and, you know, in amongst that, in his earliest years with Inter, he had... Paul Ince still kicking about as well. Um, so for me, Zhorkaev stands out as being a class player. And that's what I kind of refer to him because even after his spell at Inter Milan, where he won them the UEFA Cup against Schalke, he then moved to Kaiserslautern and helped them to go into the UEFA Cup semifinals. And then two years later, down the line, he ends up at Bolton Wanderers, of all places, um, where mm. Sam Allardyce was wheeling and dealing, as we call it. 
Um, but he still got the best out of Jokaev even then. So, you know, in his latter years where you'd probably expect him to be happy to get a paycheck, he just, you know, a breath of fresh air to that, like Bolton's side. And I think he gave them more quality than anything else. So I think that was synonymous with what Sam did is he saw a bargain in a player like Jokaev because he saw them for not just who they were, but what they could add to this team. And regardless mm. of the fact of if is that player able to last 90 minutes, even if he can influence a game for like 60 minutes or half an hour, that was enough for Bolton Wanderers at the time. And yeah, you could argue that it was that beginning of bringing in players like Jorkov that rubbed off on Bolton Wanderers and helped them propel them to higher positions in the Premier League at the time. So for me, Jorkov is about the personality and not just what he could do. He bought them a lot of fun, got them lots of goals. And for me, when you look at his record as well, um, very good record for France. So 82 appearances, 28 goals in club football, 584 appearances overall with 196 goals. For someone that was considered like more of a kind of attacking midfielder slash could play on a wing, could play up front, who is very versatile as well. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, I would say he was one of the best um, and you won't necessarily see a talent like Jorkaev that is that adaptable, that is that classy, that doesn't moan and just gets on with the job. Um, And that for me stands out as a true legend of the game. So we don't hear his name as often, I'd say here, but I know in France, they reminisce about what a great player they had. Yeah, no, that's. I, I wasn't expecting it, but do you know what? He's mm. he is a top player, and I think we probably hear more over here about like David Ginola. But yeah, you can just see from the fact that Jorkaf was in and around that '98 World Cup side, yeah. who was the higher rated player, you know, in France. There's one goal I remember from Jorkov. I, I can't remember who it was against, but it, it was like a bicycle kick. Yes. It's uh, for Inter Milan. Inter. Yeah. yeah. It was considered one of, I think, the top five goals that was ever scored by an Inter Milan player. I think I want to say it was someone like Bari scored it against. And yeah, I mean, it's still replayed to these days. He was just a fantastic goal. So if you haven't seen it, YouTube it. Definitely worth like watching again and again and again. That's for sure. Mm. So go on, right. tell us who was your number one. So my number one is Alfredo Di Stefano. Ah. Probably before Pele and Maradona came about, he would have been considered the greatest player of all time. I mean, personally, I, I actually prefer Puskas. Um, but I think those two together in in that Real Madrid side, mm. that's the best, the best strike partnership there's ever been in club football. And yeah, he was just a complete player, really. Like just way ahead of his time is is the best way to describe him. You know, complete forward, all all those type of superlatives. He he was playing total football before, you know, Ajax and Cruyff and, mm. and all that really. And yeah, obviously his, his goal scoring record was insane and he still mm. He's still talked about today because as you see people like Benzema and Ibrahimovic and people like that scoring in the Champions League and they get close or, or overtake Di Stefano's record in, in the Champions League. So his name still still comes up. But I think certain records he has won't be broken. Like most goals in yeah. a Champions League final or Euro- European Cup final, as it was. Mm. Five European Cups. Um, I think has Ronaldo got four. Maybe yeah, so he might be like close, that. but yeah, just what he did uh, for his time at Real Madrid, particularly, mm. um, he never, he never actually played in a World Cup because it's funnily enough he played for three countries, and it was a little bit more common back then that players yeah. played for more than one, although it was normally just two. But he played for Argentina and then Colombia for a little bit, and then Spain. Spain got a few of these players from, mm. from foreign leagues back in the fifties, <laughs> but they didn't actually qualify for the World Cup um, in in fifty eight. So he never played at a World Cup, unfortunately. But 
yeah, just the fact that he was a complete player um, mm. could, could do it all and just the records that he's got, the trophies that he won. And I can't remember or I can't think of a player from South America coming over to Europe and doing so well before mm. him. Yeah. So I, I think he was a pioneer in that respect as well. So the guy I mentioned earlier, Didi, he yeah. came over to Madrid for one year, but he, he didn't really get on with Dice Department because it's like Argentinian, Brazilian, <laughs> yeah. rather real, whatever. And because Dice Stefano basically ran the team, he, he was out of it. But yeah, just just ahead of his time. And mm. that team, that Real Madrid team was just too good for everyone else. And he was yeah. a big part of that. And without him, because obviously now Real Madrid is seen as the biggest club in the world. Mm. I'm not sure they would be seen as that if they didn't win all those European Cups in the 50s. I think that set them up mm. for, yeah. forever, really. It's a bit like Brazil, that <laughs> yeah, those Brazil World sides Cups. that won in the 50s as well. Like If, if that hadn't happened as well, we, we might be looking at Brazil in a different way. Mm, and that's, no. that's the impact that he had on Madrid. Yeah, so, no, yeah. definitely. If anything, you always hear Di Stefano about the records he broke and like what a player he was. Again, it's you only see the black and white footage most of the time when you're talking about Di mm. Stefano. But yeah, if he was right here right now, he'd be winning the Ballon d'Or every season, I think, um, with that kind of consistency as well. That's the thing that you everyone forgets. Like... Regardless of what era of football, to get that consistency and just like be appreciated by your like colleagues, but also those that you opposed at the time, that says a lot mm. about you. And that's all you ever hear about Di Stefano is that he was just a legend in that respect. So, um, yeah, very good choice at number one, that's for sure. Yeah, it'd be interesting to get a, a kind of 80, 90 year old Real Madrid fan's view on like who is who is the best Real Madrid player but I think in Argentina he still gets brought up in in goat debates a little bit with <laughs> with Messi and Maradona although I think Maradona probably gets the edge on for them because he because he won a, a World Cup but yeah yeah he's he's still talked about a little bit in in those sort of circles so, yeah. yeah I think it also has to be a certain generation of fans right and we're going yeah. into an era where people are maybe not so reminiscent of Di Stefano and more Maradona or Messi now. So, yeah, it's a weird time to think about it like that. But, yeah, Argentina have been blessed with some phenomenal strikers down the years as well. Yeah. Yeah, they should have won more, really. Uh, <laughs> on World Cup. I think they've won the most coppers or up there. Yeah, they're yeah, very close to it, aren't they? They must be. It's them, Uruguay, and I think Brazil. Yeah. So yeah, no, really good. Yeah, that was that was fun talking about old players. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to reminisce about um, players that you didn't include? Yeah. So oof, who did I have as a not? To be fair, some of the honourable mentions I had you've covered. So Drogba, Deco. Uh, were were probably two that were very close, um, but I think one that that possibly could make this list in the future is is KDB. Uh, if yeah. if he sort of continues on his on the path, although he's injured a lot, like I, yeah. I do find that a little bit of him that it's a little bit of a black mark against him for me. But I think yeah, if if he if he continues the way he's going, then that's maybe free three more top class seasons I think you could be cracking this list um, I think this is a thing though you... when I was looking at some of these players like Christopher Dugary like everyone knows what he was like a playboy striker essentially mm. but he did consistently perform but he wasn't necessarily like always winning championships or titles um, not even for himself basically so I think this thing sometimes it depends what period of time you look at these players but like even De Canio for like West Ham fans he's like a legend isn't he for them and so, uh, the, Lazio for example D's as well have, yeah the D's have got quite a lot of them cult type 
Yeah. Dougal is a, a cult hero. De Canio definitely is. Um, Landon Donovan, you would probably say, yeah. is as well. Dudek at yeah. Liverpool, potentially. Uh, Dion yeah. Dublin at Coventry. <laughs> Dion Dublin, yeah. That's good. Uh, TV yeah. presenter is he as a footballer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, homes under the hammer potentially. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, even the Nielsen. I remember all the. Um, I remember what was it? He was he turned out for Real, was it Real Betis? Like he signed yeah, for twenty four million at the time, it? and everyone was like, "Oh, he's going to be amazing!" But he never. I don't know about you. Just I never saw it. Never like I think nah. it was because Rivaldo was there, and Rivaldo took all of the limelight because he did so well at Barcelona. So then he had this kind of younger winger waiting to happen, but it never really transpired. I don't know why that happened, but yeah, I'll tell you another one that we've probably one. forgotten about, Jermaine Defoe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great finisher. Yeah. I was contemplating him, but yeah, I decided to actually, when you look at the quality of the five... Yeah, he's got no place, unfortunately. He's not on the same level, I didn't think. No, no. No, I do agree. <laughs> so um Yeah, that was that was good. Cheers for coming on, Adam. And before we let you go, uh, just tell us a little bit about your pod and, and where we can find you. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. And that was a lot of fun. So thank you for letting us go through that. Um, so you'll find me, I'm on the Hopeless Wonder podcast with my two co-hosts, Craig and Andy, where we just talk about just general football, including Serie A, Bundesliga and the Premier League, as well as the fun bits in between. Uh, if you want to follow us, so you can follow us on Twitter at Hopeless Pod or on Instagram at the Hopeless Wonder podcast. And if you fancy following me, I'm mainly more active on Twitter. So at Adam Gipke. But yeah, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on for this. Cheers, Adam, and Merry Podmas. Thank you very much. Happy Christmas, everyone. Three, 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 three.